We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 402 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, September 19th, 2022. And sadly, we must wait at least one more year for that which has evaded us since 2011. A 2-0 start for Washington in an NFL regular season. Uh, Not since 2011, as Washington started an NFL regular season 2-0, and and that sadly remains true of what happened on Sunday afternoon. A 36-27 Commander's loss at the Detroit Lions. Uh, the Commanders in the NFL's 2022 regular season now 1-1. One and one. Hello and welcome to a Commander's post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. My goal for this installment of the podcast is for the show to at least be better than the commander's first half on Sunday afternoon. Now, I can't promise you anything, okay? But I'm going to try for the quality of this show to at least be a little bit better than that commander's first half on Sunday afternoon. Uh, In-depth reaction to and analysis of what went down for the commanders, for the Mandos at the Lions (laughs) on Sunday afternoon is forthcoming. Uh, Next segment, I have a lot for you on that wretched first half for the commanders and on the commanders, shall we say, disappointing defense. Uh, I then have an extensive segment on the play of quarterback Carson Wentz. And then I'll hit on a variety of other items from the game, including now some injury concerns for the commanders. And do we need to have kicking concerns for the commanders? Do we need to be worried about Joey Sly? You know, we went through quite the revolving door of kickers for Washington last season. Please, let's not do that again this season. Let's not have to do that again this season. Joey Sly, make your extra point attempts, please. Uh, it's too bad, man. Two and oh 
was very much a possibility. I, on last Friday's show, episode 401, did pick the Lions minus the one, but I certainly felt like the Commanders had a very good chance of winning this game, especially with all of the injuries for the Lions coming into the game. And, uh, well, those injuries ended up not meaning much. Now, did they? I mean, three starting interior offensive linemen for the Lions were out. A starting corner in Amani Oruwarie was out. Uh, and yet the score at the half was Lions 22, Commanders nothing. Go figure. Uh, also on the show, we'll talk college football, Maryland, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Liberty, and James Madison's next opponent, Appalachian State. All were in action on Saturday. Lots to go through. Uh, Maryland overcame a 27-20 fourth quarter deficit in a 34-27 win over SMU at Maryland Stadium in College Park on Saturday night. Virginia got a last-second field goal in a 16-14 win over Old Dominion at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. Virginia Tech looked good, but not great in a 27-7 win over Wofford, which is an FCS school uh, at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday. And Liberty, the Flames, uh, they lost a heartbreaker 37-36 at number 19 Wake Forest on Saturday evening. Uh, And I have plenty for you on the Nationals and the Orioles. So the Nats over the weekend won two or three games against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park, although the Nats on Sunday afternoon got uh, dominated by Marlins ace Sandy Alcantara in a 3-1 loss. The O's over the weekend lost two or three games at the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays, although the O's on Sunday afternoon rallied for a 5-4 win at the Blue Jays. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback, as you might expect, uh, on the Commander's loss at the Detroit Lions on Sunday afternoon. Tweet from Commander's DC on that atrocious first half for the Commander's at the Lions. Writes Commander's DC, that could have been the worst first half of the Dan Snyder era. There weren't even any turnovers just terrible. Uh, You're right. There weren't any turnovers by the commanders in that first half. The closest thing that we had to a turnover was the sack strip of Carson Wentz in the end zone, but the ball went out of the back of the end zone for a safety, making the score Detroit 5, Washington nothing. Uh, Miguel Cabrera with a three-run homer to put Detroit up on Washington 5 nothing. Uh, Email from Jim D. There are several reasons we lost this game, but to me, the biggest reason of all is the defense. Every last one of them out there is worthless. What did Jack and Ron think would happen when they brought back the same guys in the linebacking and secondary cores? They let Jared Goff throw four touchdown passes. Just disgraceful on that side of the ball. And I don't want to hear anybody blame Carson Wentz for this loss either. It's not his fault. He had zero time to throw the ball. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. I have a lot to say on all of that in the upcoming segments. Uh, Email from Aaron. I'm sure you'll be getting a lot of angry fans this week regarding the loss. I would just like to point out where the blame should fall for this game. It's easy to say Wentz was bad, but that's low-hanging fruit. This week was embarrassing, and not just because we lost, but because we got outcoached. Offense. Scott Turner's offense didn't get a first down until there were fewer than six minutes left in the first half. His offense was abysmal and could not hold up against 
the Lions defensive line. One half of good football won't get it done. Not impressed by this showing from a coordinator who some people were saying might be one of the next young offensive head coaches in the NFL. Defense. The defense had some good bend, but don't break sequences. But moments are fleeting. There was miscommunication in the secondary. We were told that the miscommunications had been fixed. Jack Del Rio's defense gave up four touchdown passes to Jared Goff and was constantly getting gashed in the open field. Embarrassing for a coach of Del Rio's experience. Special teams, this may have been the worst of all. Failed onside kick, missed extra point, big return on the kick after the safety. The Lions special teams knew something. They sent every kick short and forced Dax Milne to return each kickoff. Each time he brought it out, he didn't make it past the 25, and more often than not, he was stopped closer to the 15-yard line. Dan Campbell and his staff are renowned for analytics. They showed out and had the commander's number. It's concerning to say the least. I look forward to hearing your take. Uh, Thank you for the email, Aaron. I will begin dissecting the commander's loss at the Lions in moments, but someone who will handle any dermatological needs that you may have in a manner far better than our commanders handle the Lions is Dr. George Verghese. Uh, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you're dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. That's 301 396 3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But call 301 396 3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. We get new listeners to the podcast all of the time. If you are new to the Al Galdi podcast, welcome aboard. If you've been with us for a while, thank you for listening. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. Uh, The ratings and the reviews do help to make the podcast successful. And thank you for doing them. Uh, There were two things from the Commander's 36-27 loss 
at the Detroit Lions on Sunday afternoon that were especially off-putting to me as a Commanders fan, and I'm guessing were off-putting to you as well. Uh, Number one, the atrocious first half for the Commanders, and number two, the Commanders' defense. And I want to deal with those two things right now. First, the first half. Uh, The extent to which the Commanders in the first half got outplayed and outcoached and looked unprepared really was alarming, especially when you consider that this happened in what is supposed to be a step forward year three for the team with Ron Rivera as its head coach in a coach-centric approach. And, you know, in a season in which things are supposed to be moving along, in a season in which we should be feeling appreciably better about things, and maybe we ultimately will feel appreciably better about things, we got that first half on Sunday afternoon. I mean, understand just how bad that first half was. The Commanders lost the first half 22-0. The Commanders in the first half got outgained by the Lions 250 56. The Commanders in the first half had two first downs to the Lions 11. The Commanders in the first half allowed four sacks. The Commanders in the first half got out-executed, out-schemed, and outclassed. And note, they weren't facing, say, the Los Angeles Rams or the Kansas City Chiefs. No, the Commanders were facing the Lions. And maybe the Lions will end up being good this season, but the Lions are coming off four consecutive double-digit loss regular seasons. The Lions are notorious for being one of the worst franchises in all of sports, okay? I mean, this goes back decades, the struggles of the Lions. And so for the commanders to get thrashed as the commanders got thrashed in that first half at the Lions on Sunday afternoon, a really bad look for the Commanders. Them looking as bad as they looked in the first half on Sunday afternoon was a really bad look. And if you are a fan of the team, and I have been a fan of the team for my entire sporting life, that first half was troubling. That first half was disturbing because a first half like that should not be happening in year three of a head coaching regime that, in theory, you're hoping is working. Uh, Here was Commander's head coach Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on what the heck happened to the Commanders in the first half. Um, We didn't play very well. That's probably the biggest thing. You know, we as, again, as I'll tell you guys right now, we just got to make sure we're giving them every opportunity to perform, and then we got to go out and perform. I mean, if you look at this in every phase of the game, we got beat in the first half. That's the truth of the matter. Yes, it is. Uh, The commanders in the first half were horrendous. What about the pass protection? Because I think that that, maybe more than anything, was what like slapped you right across the face watching that first half. Why was quarterback Carson Wentz pressured so much in the first half? Here was some more from Ron Rivera from his postgame press conference on Sunday. Well, I think, again, they they, they did a couple things as far as line stunts that they... um, They actually executed pretty good, and we were a little late picking up. Okay, well, why? How does that happen? And why and how does that happen for the entirety of a first half? Like, why and how weren't adjustments made during the first half to mitigate 
the Lions pass rush. I think we all get it. There are going to be stretches in a season in which the opponent's pass rush gets to you, okay? You're going to get God over the course of a season, but do you have to get God for the entirety of a first half the way that the Commanders got God for the entirety of the first half at the Lions on Sunday afternoon? Do you remember Washington's loss to the Los Angeles Rams two seasons ago? October 11th, 2020, the then Washington football team fell to 1-4 and four with a 30-10 loss to the Los Angeles Rams at a rainy FedEx field. Uh, this was the game in which quarterback Alex Smith played for the first time since suffering the broken right fibula and tibia in the loss to the Houston Texans at FedEx Field in November 2018, and uh, then dealing with infection and sepsis and ultimately 17 surgeries. We all know the story by now, but that was the Alex Smith return game. And that was also a game in which Rams interior defensive lineman Aaron Donald wrecked Washington. He finished the game with four sacks. And what will always stick with me about Donald's performance in that game was that he was not double teamed on any of the four plays that resulted in his four sacks. Offensive coordinator Scott Turner in that game essentially allowed Aaron Donald to wreak havoc. Uh, Washington did little, if any, of the following on Aaron Donald in that game. Uh, Trap Donald, chip Donald, utilize gap scheme. Uh, check runs away from Donald, very snap counts. And maybe none of those things would have mattered, okay, because Aaron Donald is one of the greatest interior defensive linemen in NFL history. But the idea is he wrecked you, and you didn't really do much to try to change that. Uh, Watching the Lions pass rush ravage Carson Wentz on Sunday afternoon, I thought back to that loss to the Rams two years ago and how Aaron Donald worked Washington in that game and how seemingly very few adjustments were made by Washington. And I just don't get why it had to be that the commanders had no answer to the Lions pass rush for an entire first half. Like, that shouldn't happen. Okay, and maybe there were things tried that we're not aware of. Okay, like there's always information that we don't necessarily have, but just watching the game and listening to what was said after the game, it sure didn't seem like major adjustments were made in that first half. And the way that Ron Rivera during his post game press conference explained things, the commanders just played better in the second half. Uh, here was Carson Wentz during his postgame press conference on Sunday on the commander's hideous first half. First half was was very ugly. Uh, I got to be better. We got to stay on the field. We got to execute better. Um, again, got to look at the tape, but it just seemed like one little thing here and there. And next thing you know, it was the end of the first half. Uh, it was very ugly, very ugly. So uh, proud of the way the guys responded. Um, coming out the second half, uh, we know what we're capable of. Uh, I think we showed it again, but uh, we just got to be consistent. We got to be consistent. We can't do that early in the game. The, center, the, the league is too hard to win, um, and we can't do that to ourselves and dig ourselves a hole like that. Yeah, I just come back to this with how bad the commander's first half was. <laughs> that shouldn't happen. And I know that that sounds like so simple, right? Like, that shouldn't happen. No kidding, Goldie. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen ever, yes. But that shouldn't happen, especially in, again, what is supposed to be a step forward year three for the team with Ron Rivera as its head coach. The team should be past being victimized like that 
and a half. Like maybe in 2020, maybe in 2021, but in 2022, in year three, shouldn't the program be beyond getting just completely annihilated the way that the commanders got annihilated in that first half? Like if the Rivera era is truly working, what happened in the first half on Sunday afternoon shouldn't happen. And I do get that bad halves and bad games do happen. And maybe that first half at the Lions will prove to be just one bad half and not indicative of anything. That is possible, okay? But it's hard to see the commanders look that bad in a half and wonder about how and why that happens in year three of the Rivera era. And then there was the commander's defense in the loss at the Lions. Uh, So yes, the commander's defense is dealing with a good bit in the way of injury right now. That is true. Uh, The commander's defense was without three key players for this game. Safety Cameron Curl was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the uh, 24-14 preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th. Edge defender Chase Young remains on the reserve, physically unable to perform list. He was placed on that on August 23rd as he continues to recover from the torn right ACL that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. And interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis is on the reserve injured list. Uh, He was placed on that uh, this past Monday, September 12th, due to a left knee injury, a reported torn left meniscus that he suffered in the first quarter of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. Uh, Mathis underwent surgery this past Friday. Uh, Also, defensive lineman Daniel Wise suffered an ankle injury in the first half on Sunday afternoon. Edge defender Casey Tuhill suffered a concussion in the first half on Sunday afternoon. So yeah, the commander's defense is banged up right now. But also, yeah, the commander's defense in the loss at the Lions was not good. Uh, The commanders allowed the Lions to have 425 total net yards of offense over just 61 plays. That works out to a yards per play of 6.97. The commanders in this loss at the Lions allowed the Lions to average nearly 7 yards per play. Uh, The commanders allowed the Lions to generate 3 plays, each of at least 49 yards. One such play given up in a game is one play too many. The commanders on Sunday afternoon allowed three plays, each of at least 49 yards. Uh, Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on the commander's defense. When I saw us, we gave up big plays, explosive plays, and you can't give those plays up. You throw an exp- you allow an explosive play, and it throws you off. And, and that's really, if you look at most of their scoring drives, I, I believe there's at least one play over 25 yards, I think. Okay, and then how about this later in Ron Rivera's postgame press conference on Sunday? Take a listen to this exchange with Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. On defense, what personnel you guys leaned in, in, into a continuity this year? You didn't make any real changes to the starting lineup, and yet this is what you've seen so far. How do you know? Back to that. Big plays. The other team gets paid, too. Let's be honest about that. Okay, we gave up some big plays because we didn't do our job first and foremost. Secondly, you got to give them some credit too. Yeah, well, you could say that big plays were a bit of a problem for the commander's defense in the loss at the Lions. But also with the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon, the commanders allowed Lions quarterback Jared Goff to have four touchdown passes versus no interceptions. The commanders got torched 
by Lions receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. He had nine receptions for 116 yards and two touchdowns on 12 targets. And he had two carries for 68 yards. Uh, And speaking of run defense, the commander's run defense on Sunday afternoon was hideous. Uh, They allowed running backs DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, and Craig Reynolds, and receiver Amon Ross St. Brown to combine for 22 carries for 193 yards. 8.77 yards per carry. Nearly nine yards per carry. And that's over 22 carries. I mean, how often... Do you see something like that? And consider this. This happened despite Swift being banged up and despite the Lions missing the entire starting interior of their offensive line. DeAndre Swift was questionable for the game due to an ankle injury. The Lions starting center Frank Ragnow was inactive due to groin and foot ailments. The Lions starting left guard Jonah Jackson was inactive due to a finger injury, and the Lions starting right guard Halapulivati Vaitai is on the reserve injured list due to a back injury. So note, when we talk about the commander's defense being banged up, hey, the Lions offense was banged up, and yet it did just fine. Now, the commander's run defense also was bad in week one of the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field. The commanders in that game allowed Jags running backs Travis Etienne and James Robinson to combine for 15 carries for 113 yards and a touchdown, 7.53 yards per carry. I mean, these are some jaw-dropping yards per carries that the commanders have allowed so far this season, 7.53 to ETN and Robinson in week one. 8.77 to Swift, Williams, Reynolds, and St. Brown in week two. Uh, Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on if he's concerned about the commander's run defense. I'm not concerned. You know, we, we didn't, we weren't at full strength, okay? But having said that, they still ran against us. You got to give them credit. That's a very gritty football team. They came out, they had a lot of energy. Early on, they, they fed off the energy around the crowd, and they made a couple things happen, and we didn't respond. Came out in the second half, we responded, we fought, we battled, we did some good things. I think you got to look at, you know, more than just what you see on the surface. There's a lot more to what happens. All right. I mean, it is true that Washington's run defense for the 2021 regular season was good, but that was last season, okay? So far this season... The commander's run defense has been really bad. And, you know, some of what happened with the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon was embarrassing. Like, there's bad, and then there's embarrassingly bad. The commander's defense way too often on Sunday afternoon was embarrassingly bad. The Lions' second offensive drive resulted in Austin Seibert's first quarter 35-yard field goal for a 3-0 Lions lead. The third snap of the drive, the aforementioned Amonra St. Brown wide open in the middle of the field on a Jared Goff third and three 49-yard shotgun completion to St. Brown across the middle of the field. Uh, St. Brown being so open was the result of a miscommunication between William Jackson III and Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, Both of them covered the same guy, leaving St. Brown wide open. Uh, The Lions' fourth offensive drive started at the Commander's 31 thanks to a 52-yard kickoff return by receiver Khalif Raymond off the sack strip of Carson Wentz in the end zone for a safety. The drive resulted in Jared Goff's late first quarter, third and five, 13-yard shotgun touchdown pass 
to Amon Ross St. Brown, who made the catch over a diving William Jackson III, who slipped as the ball was coming towards St. Brown. Ensuing extra point gave the Lions a 12-0 lead. Uh, the Lions' sixth offensive drive resulted in Jared Goff's second quarter first and goal three-yard under center play action touchdown pass to receiver Josh Reynolds, who was open in the end zone. The Lions humiliated the commander's defense on this drive, which was a nine-play, 77-yard drive on which the Lions had six plays that each went for at least eight yards. The ensuing extra point gave the Lions a 22-0 lead. And then how about the Lions' 11th offensive drive? Four plays, 75 yards, resulted in total humiliation. The Jared Goff late third quarter, third and 15, 22-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Swift on a reception on which Swift fell down off making the catch around the 20. But Swift then got back up and made multiple commanders, defenders miss on attempted tackles, including Bobby McCain and Kendall Fuller, and are out to the end zone. That was amateur hour, that play. That was an embarrassment, that play. The ensuing extra point gave the Lions a 29-15 lead. And also on that drive, by the way, the first snap of the drive, in fact, Amon Ross St. Brown, a first and 10, 58-yard under center handoff and around run. All of this happened on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, I think about this, and I think that this is what is particularly galling to me about the struggles of the commander's defense. Washington spent a first-round pick on a defensive player in each of five consecutive NFL drafts, 2017 through 2021, right? 2017, interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. 2018, interior defensive lineman Deron Payne. 2019, edge defender Montez Sweat. 2020, edge defender Chase Young. 2021, linebacker Jamin Davis. How many other NFL teams have done that ever? Spent a first-round pick on a defensive player in each of five consecutive NFL drafts. Well, Washington did that 2017 through 2021, and yet the defense remains a problem. Washington spent significant money in free agency on a defensive back in each of three consecutive offseasons, 2019 through 2021. 2019, safety Landon Collins. 2020, corner Kendall Fuller. 2021, corner William Jackson III. And yet, the commander's defense remains a problem. Washington has, for three seasons now, had a head coach with an extensive defensive background in Ron Rivera and has had an experienced defensive coordinator in Jack Del Rio. And yet, the commander's defense remains a problem. Why is this? Why is the defense still a problem? Like with all of these resources that have been poured into this defense, why and how is the defense still a problem? And I think that that is as galling as anything. It's not like the team hasn't tried to address the defense. It's not like there aren't reasons to think that the defense should be better. And yet, Season in, season out, with rare exception, the defense for this team is a real issue. And this is happening once again now, this season. Uh, was there good from the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon? There was some good, yes. Uh, the commander's 
did total three sacks and 11 quarterback hits. That was good. Uh, the commander's third down defense actually has been good, statistically speaking, over the first two weeks of the 2022 regular season. The commanders held the Lions to 4 of 13 on third downs, also held the Lions to 0 of 2 on fourth down. So that was good. And, you know, when it came to Jared Goff, the commanders did allow him to complete just 20 of his 34 pass attempts. That does work out to a completion percentage of 58.8. But yeah, the positives from the commander's defense and the loss at the Lions pale in comparison to the negatives from the defense in the game. I have said that truly dominant defense is almost impossible in today's NFL with the way that the game is officiated and with the offensive philosophies prevalent in the game. And I do believe that. I do think that that is true, that truly dominant defense is almost impossible in today's NFL. You never say never, but I think now more than ever, it is incredibly difficult to have a truly dominant defense. But that doesn't just excuse bad defense, okay? And that doesn't mean that being good defensively is an impossibility. The commander's defense on Sunday afternoon was not close to good enough. Well, something that has been good for years, for 40 plus years, in fact, is the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If your health or the health of someone who you care about has been adversely affected by the negligence of someone else, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. Paulson and Nace will fight for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, just last month, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So no doubt, there's not a lot to be happy about with the commanders off them falling to one and one with the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions on Sunday afternoon. But something that I do think you should be happy about is the performance of quarterback Carson Wentz and the commanders passing game as a whole in the second half. Carson Wentz had a nightmare of a first half 
but he then had a really good second half, and he ultimately, to me, was good for a second time in as many games in the 2022 regular season. Now, there's no doubt that the difference between Carson's first half and second half was enormous. Uh, Carson, in a first half, that the Commanders lost 22-0, went just 9-17 for just 59 yards, no touchdowns and no interceptions, and took four sacks, including a sack strip for a safety. He quarterbacked the Commanders' offense that, in the first half, went just 2-8 of eight on third downs. But Carson, in a second half, that the Commanders won 27-14, went 21-29 of 29 for 278 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception, and took just one sack, and he had two key scrambles for 23 yards, and he quarterbacked the Commanders offense that in the second half went five of seven on third downs. And when you add it all up, Carson for the game, 30 of 46 for 337 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He took five sacks. He quarterbacked the Commanders offense that went 7 of 15 on third downs. Know this, Carson Wentz has become the first NFL quarterback since 1950 when quarterback starts were first tracked to have at least three touchdown passes and at least 300 passing yards in each of his first two regular season starts with a new team. And Carson Wentz has become the first Washington quarterback to have at least six touchdown passes over the first two weeks of an NFL regular season since Mark Rippon in 1989. I mean, think about those facts. That's what Carson Wentz has achieved over his first two starts as a commander's quarterback in the regular season. Uh, The bad from Carson Wentz in this game on Sunday afternoon. Well, look, Carson in that nightmare of a first half was guilty of not always handling the Lions' fierce pass rush so well. You know, people can talk about the protection of Carson Wentz having not been stellar, but Carson himself had something to do with the sacks and hits that he took, and his reactions to the pressures uh, weren't always the greatest. Uh, The commander's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out, first snap of the drive. Carson Wentz had no chance on a first and 10, 10-yard under center play action incompletion, so I don't blame Carson for that, but he committed a 12-yard intentional grounding penalty, giving the commanders a second and 22 at their four. You really would like to not see him commit that penalty. I know he's in a tough spot. I do understand that, but that penalty was tough. Uh, The commander's third offensive drive, second snap of the drive. Uh, On a second and eight for the commanders at their five, Carson Wentz took a shotgun snap, dropped back about five yards in the end zone, and then got sack stripped by edge defender Charles Harris, who beat Charles Leno Jr. The ball went out of the back of the end zone for a safety and a 5-0 Lions lead. Now again, under pressure, I don't know that there was a ton that Carson Wentz could do in that spot, but to get sack stripped like that, uh, no bueno. You know, you got to find a way to hold on to the football and ideally get rid of the football if you're about to be sacked. Uh, The commander's Fifth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. Second snap of the drive, Carson Wentz took a second and 10 sack from edge defender Aiden Hutchinson for a six-yard loss. Now look, Hutchinson had a monster game on Sunday afternoon. Hutchinson was like a one-man wrecking crew in this game. He finished the game with three sacks. Uh, But on this sack, while Hutchinson was blocked by Samuel Cosme, uh, this sack was not on Cosme. Cosme blocked Hutchinson 
around Carson Wentz. Carson, for whatever reason, didn't feel the pressure and stepped to his left and stepped right into the sack by Hutchinson. So Carson was at fault to a degree in terms of the sacks and the pressures. And he also didn't always handle the sacks and the pressures in the best of ways. Uh, Also, Carson was guilty of some inaccurate throws and some, shall we say, WTF moments. Uh, The commander's sixth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt. Fifth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz off a throwback from Antonio Gibson had a second and eight deep shotgunning completion on which Carson's throw to Cam Sims was way off and was nearly intercepted by safety Tracy Walker III. That was an ugly looking incompletion. Uh, The sixth snap of that drive, the commanders got called for a third and eight five-yard delay of game penalty and delay of game penalties you do usually put on quarterbacks. So the commander's eighth offensive drive, this was a mere one-play drive at the end of the second quarter. The lone snap of the drive, first and 10 for the commanders at their 46. Carson Wentz threw a shotgun play action short pass that ricocheted off a player or players. I did not understand this If time is about to run out in the first half, you have the ball at your 46, either throw deep, you know, either throw a Hail Mary or just take a knee. What's the point of running a play just to pick up a few yards? Why risk injury in a circumstance like that? In addition to risking something going really wrong, uh, the commander's 10th offensive drive, third snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, third quarter interception. Uh, He on a second and two for the commanders at the Lions 47, threw high on a shotgun play action pass. That went off the hands of Logan Thomas, then went off safety Tracy Walker III, and then landed in the arms of corner Will Harris. Uh, Here was Carson during his postgame press conference on Sunday on what he needed to have done better on that interception on the pass intended for Logan Thomas, who, by the way, after the game said that there were things that he, uh, i.e. Logan, maybe could have done better. Bring the ball down. Bring the ball down. That's... Um, you know, big target like that, I, I still got to give him a chance, though. That's too high, too high. And throwing it over the middle, anytime you leave it up, you're, it can be in harm's way. Um, especially the way we were rolling that one, I'm definitely kicking myself over because uh, I thought we had some momentum there, um, especially right after an, another big play, But I think the play before. Um, so, yeah, I know Logan might own that one, but that is not on him one bit. I got to get that ball down and, and give him a chance. Um, and that one, I'm definitely kicking myself over. Well, good for Carson Wentz for taking ownership of the interception, but also from Carson on Sunday afternoon in terms of inaccuracy, Commander's 14th offensive drive. This was the team's final offensive drive of the game. Started at the Commander's 33 with 135 left in the fourth quarter. Commander's trailing 36-27. The drive resulted in a late fourth quarter turnover on downs. The first snap of the drive, Carson Wentz threw way high, was nearly picked off on a first and 10 shotgun incompletion intended for John Bates. So yeah, I mean, this was far from a flawless performance by Carson Wentz, but the good outweighed the bad. The good from Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz in the second half played at a really high level, and the commander's passing game in the second half ended up functioning at a high level. Uh, The commander's ninth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half, Five plays, 64 yards. The commanders for the entire first half had just 56 total net yards of offense. The commanders on just their first drive of the second half had 64 yards of offense. Uh, Second snap of the drive with the commanders going no huddle. Carson Wentz, a second and six, 40 
yard shotgun completion to Jahan Dodson on a deep ball down the field. Fifth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, third and five, 15-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel down the right sideline. Carson on the throw displaying great soft touch, and Curtis doing a really impressive job of holding onto the ball despite taking a nasty shot from safety to Sean Elliott in the end zone. Ensuing extra point cut the commander's deficit to 22-7. The commander's 11th offensive drive, seven plays, 94 yards, resulted in Carson Wentz's third quarter, second and nine, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Logan Thomas on a pass down the middle. And then Carson connected on a shotgun play action pass to Jahan Dotson for a successful two-point conversion attempt, cutting the commander's deficit to 22-15. Carson on this drive, masterful. Four of four for 91 yards and the touchdown. And he had the two-point conversion pass. Second snap of the drive. Second and nine for the commanders at their seven. Carson Wentz and nine-yard shotgun completion to Jahan Dodson. Third snap of the drive. Carson Wentz first and 10. 35-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin on a deep ball on which Terry made an excellent adjustment and making a catch while falling to his right. Fifth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a second and nine, 27-yard under center play action boot completion to Curtis Samuel, who was wide open. The commander's 12th offensive drive, 12 plays, 83 yards, resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth quarter, first and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run to cut the commander's deficit to 29-21. The commanders did then go for two, but failed as Carson Wentz on a shotgun pass was pressured heavily and then picked off in the end zone. And I know there was a lot of talk uh, during the game, after the game, about commander's head coach Ron Rivera opting to go for two in this spot. And what do the analytics say? And, you know, you have all the anti-analytics people coming out of the woodwork and, you know, yelling and screaming about the evil of analytics. Well, analytics do say to go for two in that spot. You know, I am a big proponent of analytics, as you know. I'm also not a slave to analytics in that I think context does matter, especially when it comes to something like going for two. So, you know, you always have to think about what's happening in the game. You have to think about, all right, do you as an offense have a play that you feel really good about that can succeed in terms of a two-point conversion attempt? But just on the surface, okay, in a vacuum, I did not have a problem with the commanders going for two in that spot. Again, the analytics, and I love how people always frame this, what do the analytics say? As if like there's one analytics uh, that everyone goes by. Like, no, analytics, that encompasses so many different people, so many different schools of thought. Like, what exactly does that mean? But yeah, the gist of it is this. Down by eight and going for two, if you get the two and then score another touchdown, kick the extra point, you go ahead and obviously get the lead. If you don't get the two, but you score a touchdown again, you have another chance to get the two, and then in theory anyway, go to overtime. So there is logic behind doing what the commanders did and going for two in that spot. It didn't work, okay, but you don't always have to judge a decision by the result. To me, if there's sound process behind the decision, if there's sound thinking behind the decision, then I think the decision can be okay. And I do think in this instance, there was sound thinking. There was sound process. Uh, For the record, here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on why he went for two in that spot. Send the math. Send the math. You guys should appreciate the analytics of it. Okay. 
All right, you see the mathematician, Ron Rivera, said it so. It's in the math, okay? It's in the math. Appreciate the analytics, or at least we should appreciate the analytics. Uh, All right, anyway, back to that commander's 12th offensive drive. So Carson Wentz on this drive. Fifth snap of the drive, Carson, a first and 10, nine-yard under center play action completion to John Bates. Seventh snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a third and three, 17-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin on a screen as Carson found Terry. His edge defender, Charles Harris, was coming in unblocked toward Carson. Uh, Ninth snap of the drive, Carson, a first and 10, 10-yard shotgun play action completion to J.D. McKissick in the midst of traffic near the left sideline. That was an impressive catch by McKissick. And then on the 11th snap of the drive, Carson in the midst of heavy pressure, a second and 10, 11-yard shotgun completion to a wide open Antonio Gibson, giving the commanders a first and goal at the one. Uh, The commanders, 13th offensive drive, 14 plays, 76 yards, resulted in Carson's fourth quarter, third and goal, one-yard shotgun touchdown pass, to Jahan Dodson on the first snap after the two-minute warning. Uh, then came Joey Sly missing the ensuing extra point attempt, and so the commanders only cut the Lions' deficit to 36-27. But on this drive, we saw the mobility of Carson Wentz come into play. Sixth snap of the drive, Carson, a first and 10, 18-yard shotgun scramble on which he juked linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez into a missed tackle. That was a really impressive run by Carson. Uh, Eighth snap of the drive, Carson, a second and six 12-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick. And the 11th snap of the drive, third and four for the Commanders at the Lions 7. Carson Wentz, a five-yard shotgun scramble. Like I said, Carson in the second half of this game, played at a high level. And, you know, we talked so much after the Commanders' 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1 about the Carson Wentz experience and, you know, the very good of Carson Wentz and the very bad of Carson Wentz. Well, we, in this loss at the Lions on Sunday afternoon, in a lot of ways, saw something similar. But whereas in the win over the Jags, you had in one quarter, the fourth quarter, both the bad and the good of Carson Wentz on display. In this game, Carson Wentz's first half was bad, but his second half was quite good. Uh, Another real positive for Carson Wentz in this game, he displayed major toughness in this game. I mean, Carson Wentz for the game was the victim of 11 quarterback hits, including five sacks. And yet he still did what he did, 30 of 46 for 337 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Quarterback to commander's offense that went 7 of 15 on third downs. I mean, there were multiple plays on which he had no chance. I go back to the commander's sixth offensive drive, resulted in a second quarter punt, seventh snap of the drive. Carson got blasted by safety. Deshaun Elliott had no chance on a third and 13 shotgun incompletion. Uh, It was that kind of a day for a good chunk of the day for Carson Wentz, and yet he picked himself up and found a way to put this team in a position in which the game was competitive. That first half was not competitive. The second half, though, a totally different story, and Carson Wentz deserves a lot of credit for that. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on the play of Carson Wentz on Sunday afternoon, especially in the second half. 
I saw some gumption, you know. I mean, he, he's, he's been very gritty. He was very gritty last week, very gritty this week. You know, um, there's, there's, there's that want to, that try to. You know, he gives it everything he's got every play. And, and man, I'm just glad we have a guy like that, you know, lead, helping, helping to lead our football team. Yeah, as disappointing as the commander's loss at the Lions was, don't lose sight of this. Overall, Carson Wentz has played well for the Commanders over their first two games. Well, someone who will do well for you if you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area is real estate agent Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, but are unsure whether now is the time to buy a home, know this, now is the time. Uh, It has been a crazy last few months in real estate, no doubt, but as was detailed in the Washington Post recently, there right now is a real estate market shift taking place, giving the upper hand to buyers. The window for buying a home is opening. Uh, Buyers have faced crazy competition for homes over the last few years, oftentimes losing out on homes. Well, the rising mortgage rates mean that the market now is not as competitive and inventory is starting to rise. Uh, Houses are also sitting longer and we are starting to see price reductions, all good signs for buyers. Uh, Now is the time to capitalize on this. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want, no matter your age, family situation, or financial situation. Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell.com. CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. More now on the commanders of them falling to 1-1 with a 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions on Sunday afternoon. Next up for the commanders is their first NFC East game of the 2022 regular season. Home to the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at 1. The 1-0 Eagles will host the 1-0 Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football, a 30 kickoff on Monday night. As you may have heard, uh, commanders quarterback Carson Wentz used to play for the Eagles. So they took him with the number two pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, a pick for which the Eagles traded up. 
Uh, he then played for them for five seasons, 2016 through 2020. Here was Carson during his postgame press conference on Sunday on facing the Eagles this Sunday at FedEx Field. Another game. Another game. I mean, I know there's a lot lot going into it. There's a lot of emotion. There'll be a lot of things, but uh, try not to let it be more than another game. There, there's some familiar faces for me over there that, I, quite frankly, I'm excited to see, uh, excited to go compete against. It'll be fun, um, but it's a lot of different, too, a lot of different, too, over there. So uh, I know the rivalry in this division. I've obviously been a part of it for a while, so uh, I look forward to it, but I uh, can't make it bigger than it needs to be. So there are multiple injury concerns for the commanders coming out of this loss at the Lions and going into this game against the Eagles. Uh, Center Chase Roulier left the loss at the Lions with exactly one minute left in the fourth quarter due to a lower leg injury. And he, after the game, was on crutches. Uh, This does not feel good, but we'll see what the ailment ends up being. Commanders insider John Kime of ESPN reported that Roulier's right leg was wrapped up. Uh, it was Roulier's left leg that got hurt last season. Uh, Chase Roulier in the loss at the Denver Broncos last Halloween suffered a season-ending fractured left fibula and suffered damage to his left ankle. But him being out would be a major blow to the commanders. Uh, first of all, Chase Roulier is a good center, but the commanders already are without their second and third string centers. Uh, The commanders have their second string center, Tyler Larson, on the reserve physically unable to perform list as he recovers uh, from an Achilles injury that he suffered in a loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. And the commander's third string center is guard slash center Wes Schweitzer. He, on Sunday afternoon, was inactive due to a left hamstring injury with which he dealt in the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. Also, the commander's already thin defensive line now is even thinner. So the team already has edge defender Chase Young on the reserve physically unable to perform list and has interior defensive lineman Fidarian Mathis on the reserve injured list. Uh, well, defensive lineman Daniel Wise on Sunday afternoon suffered an ankle injury in the first quarter and edge defender Casey Tuhill on Sunday afternoon suffered a concussion in the first half. So the depth of the defensive line is really being tested. Uh, Some happier thoughts uh, for you. Uh, So we in the loss at the Lions did see the commander's top three receivers all be impactful for a second time in as many games in the 2022 regular season. I went through a lot of these guys, big catches during our Carson Wentz segment last segment, but Terry McLaurin on Sunday afternoon, four receptions for 75 yards on eight targets, and he had one carry for seven yards, and the carry was key The commander's 12th offensive drive, 12 plays, 83 yards, resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth quarter first and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. The fourth snap of that drive and the first snap of the fourth quarter on a fourth and one for the commanders at their 26, Terry McLaurin, a seven-yard under center handoff run. This was some gamble that was taken by Riverboat Ron Rivera, our commander's head coach, going for it on a fourth and one for the commander's at their 26, but Ron went for it, and the commanders got it. Uh, Now, Terry did have a drop in the game, or at least would look like a drop. It was not easy to tell necessarily watching the game on TV, or in my case, on the iPad. But Commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter punt. Fourth snap of the drive, Terry McLaurin a drop on a Carson Wentz first and 10 shotgun play action incompletion. But overall, some really good stuff from Terry McLaurin 
in this game. Uh, Curtis Samuel on Sunday afternoon, seven receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. And he had a carry for 21 yards. Uh, that run came on that drive that resulted in the Antonio Gibson touchdown run. Eight snap of the drive. Curtis Samuel, a first and 10, 21-yard run on a double reverse out of the shotgun. Uh, more good stuff from Jahan Dodson. I mean, this guy is a rookie and he has been instant impact. Uh, Jahan on Sunday afternoon, four receptions for 59 yards and a touchdown on five targets. More impressive catches for him. Uh, you know, it was Jahan Dodson who got the commander's first first down of the game. Uh, the commander's sixth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt. Third snap of the drive on a third and six for the commanders at their 31 with 5.51 left in the second quarter. Carson Wentz had a nine-yard shotgun completion to Jahan Dodson for the commander's first first down of the game. I mean, if that doesn't capture the ineptitude of the commanders in the first half, I don't know what does that the team's first first down of the game didn't come until we were under the six-minute mark in the second quarter. So production from the commander's top three receivers, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dodson, a tight end Logan Thomas in the loss at the Lions, three receptions for 37 yards and a touchdown on five targets. A running back, Antonio Gibson, 14 carries for 28 yards and a touchdown and two receptions for 13 yards on four targets. The commander's running game on Sunday afternoon was not good. I mean, Gibson, like I said, 14 carries, 28 yards. He averaged two yards per carry, but Gibson did have that fourth quarter touchdown run. And also for him on that drive, 10th snap of the drive, he had a drop. A first and 10 for the commanders at the Lions 12. Antonio Gibson had a drop on a Carson Wentz under center play action incompletion. But on the very next snap, Carson, in the midst of heavy pressure, had a second and 10, 11-yard shotgun completion to a wide open Antonio Gibson, giving the commanders a first and goal at the one. Uh, also in this game for the commanders, kicker Joey Sly. Uh, he did not attempt a single field goal, but he went just one of two on extra point attempts. He missed the extra point attempt that followed Carson Wentz's fourth quarter third and goal one-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson on the first snap after the two-minute warning. And so the commanders only cut the Lions' deficit to 36-27. And, of course, that ended up being the final score of the game. You know, for all of the discussion about Ron Rivera's decision to go for two earlier in the game— the Joey Sly missed extra point attempt loomed as large as anything in this game for the Commanders. And, you know, it's a funny thing with Joey Sly. He has had issues on extra point attempts. Uh, Sly, in the Commanders' preseason opening 23-21 loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field on August 13th, missed an extra point attempt. And Joey Sly last season had problems on extra point attempts. Uh, note this, Joey Sly in the 2021 regular season went just 18 of 22 on extra point attempts, including going just two of four on extra point attempts over three games with the San Francisco 49ers last October. Uh, Sly in the 2021 regular season for Washington went nine of 10 on extra points. But this was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on if there's any concern with the commander's kicking game. No, no, that's one missed kick. Yeah, and you know, also with Joey Sly and the loss at the Lions was a pretty bad attempt at an onside kick 
late in the fourth quarter. I will say this, though, about Joey Sly. He was really good on field goals last season. Joey Sly overall in the 2021 regular season, 23 of 25 on field goals, including four of four on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. And off what the team went through last season in trying to find a kicker after getting rid of Dustin Hopkins, right? Chris Blewett, anyone? Uh, I do not anticipate Ron Rivera being in any kind of a rush to cut ties with Joey Sly. Up next, I'm talking college football, including an impressive comeback win for Maryland, shaky wins for Virginia and Virginia Tech, and a few other items, including a play-by-play call that you gotta hear. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, time now to talk college football. Uh, Week three of the 2022 season, we had a big come-from-behind win for Maryland. We had underwhelming wins for Virginia and Virginia Tech, and we had some wild finishes as well. Uh, Maryland improved to 3-0, a 34-27 win over SMU at Maryland Stadium in College Park on Saturday night. Terrapins overcame a 27-20 fourth-quarter deficit, won the fourth quarter, 14-0. 14-0. You know, the Terps have had some ugly home losses in primetime games in recent years. So uh, as someone who went to Maryland, I do not take for granted that the Terps won this game. Uh, the Terps won this game despite having an astounding 15 accepted penalties for 100 
41 yards. So not exactly a clean performance by Maryland, but quarterback Talia Tungavailoa was extremely efficient for a second consecutive game. 17 of 23 for 214 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took two sacks. Uh, Talia completing 17 of his 23 pass attempts, good for a completion percentage of 73.91. Uh, That was off him in the 56-21 win at Charlotte on September 10th, completing 27 of his 31 pass attempts to set a single-game program record for highest completion percentage with a minimum of 15 pass attempts. Uh, His completion percentage for that game, 87.1. Talia on Saturday night had a second quarter, first and 10, 48-yard shotgun play action, touchdown pass to receiver Rakim Jarrett. Talia had a fourth-quarter tie-breaking third-and-one five-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to tight end Corey Deitches as Talia off the shotgun play-action fake. Randy was left for an apparent keeper and then tossed the ball to Deitches, who then sprinted and dove into the end zone. So good game for Talia Tungavailoa. Good game for Terps running back Roman Hemby, uh, the local. He went to the John Carroll School in Bel Air, Maryland. Hemby, 16 carries, 151 yards, and a touchdown. He averaged 9.44 yards per carry, and he had four receptions for 62 yards. Hemby on the Terps' first offensive play of the game had a first quarter, first and 10, 50-yard shotgun toss run. Uh, The Terps defense overall did well against an SMU team that through week two was number 15 in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN for the 2022 season and did well against a quarterback in Tanner Mordecai, who through week two was number 11 among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 season. Now, the Terps did allow SMU to amass 520 total net yards of offense and to go 10 to 21 on third downs. And the Terps did allow Mordecai to have a big first half. So the Terps did give some stuff up. That is true. But ultimately for the game, the Terps held Mordecai to 29 of 54 passing. Uh, That works out to a completion percentage of just 53.7. And the Terps held Mordecai to just 369 yards over his 54 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.83. And the Terps generated two interceptions and two sacks. So Mordecai did have three touchdown passes. Uh, Terps defensive back Bo Braid had a really impressive game. Uh, Braid went to River Hill High School in Clarksville, Maryland. He finished with an interception, two pass breakups, a forced fumble, and a team high 15 tackles. And the Terps have themselves a kicker, man. Uh, Eastern Michigan transfer Chad Ryland, he went 2-2 on field goals, extending his streak of made field goals to 20. Longest active such streak in the FBS. This was Terps head coach Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference late night on Saturday night on the Maryland win over SMU. Uh, we did not play our best football today. Let's make no mistake about it. Um, a lot of errors, a lot of penalties, a lot of turnovers, but it was against a really, really good team. I told our team this, and I have way too much respect for winning. And to win a game like we won today against eight, that's a really good team. And I promise you, at the end of the year, SMU will be one of the teams that's really highly uh, thought of. But to find a way to win, we needed a game like that. I got a lot of respect for the way our guys fought, the resiliency they showed being down. You know, these guys never flinched, never looked at the scoreboard. Obviously, we got a lot of things to get cleaned up on offense. It starts with me with the penalties. I'll get that corrected. But it sure feel good to be 3-0, and all right? We beat 3-0. Um, the Terps showed great effort. I have no problem with how we play the game of football. We played for 60 minutes. 
We kept fighting. Our defense may have gave up some yards, but when we needed stops, they got us stops. I thought our offense imposed their will on that drive to take the lead where we just lined up and I, I continue to talk about how our O-line is a much improved group. Would have loved to see us finish on the field there that last drive and not give it back to them. But again, I'm proud of our guys. We're 3-0 and and now we got to turn the page in 24 hours and get ready for league play. Yeah, and uh, league play for the Terps is going to begin in a challenging way. Next up for Maryland at number four, Michigan, this Saturday at noon. Uh, Virginia, it improved to 2-1 and one with a 16-14 win over Old Dominion at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. Kicker Brendan Farrell connected on a game-winning 26-yard field goal as time expired. Uh, the Cavaliers led in the second quarter 10-0, but then lost the rest of the game 14-6. Wahoo not exactly killing it so far this season. Now, the Wahoos in this game didn't move the ball, but they only scored 16 points. So the Hoos totaled 513 total net yards of offense. That's good. But the Hoos committed three turnovers, all of which were lost fumbles that came over three true offensive possessions over the second and third quarters. And if you take out an end-of-first-half possession that consisted of just one snap, which was a kneel-down, the three lost fumbles came over three consecutive offensive possessions over the second and third quarters. Uh, also, the Hoos scored just one touchdown over seven red zone possessions. Uh, but the biggest item coming out of this game to me is quarterback Brennan Armstrong. Uh, he had another underwhelming game. This is a guy who was so good last season. He has not been so good so far this season. Now, Armstrong did make back-to-back -back big plays on UVA's game-winning drive. He had a second and 10, 30-yard shotgun completion to receiver Lavelle Davis Jr. down the middle of the field, then had a first and 10, 13-yard shotgun scramble. But Armstrong had two lost fumbles. Uh, one came on a carry. The other lost fumble came on a sack strip. Armstrong completed just 20 of his 37 pass attempts. Uh, that works out to a completion percentage of just 54.05. His completion percentage for this season over three games now is a mere 52.94. Uh, Armstrong threw for 284 yards over his 37 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of 7.68. That's not terrible, but Armstrong for his 2021 season had a yards per pass attempt of 8.9. Uh, Armstrong threw no interceptions, but he also had no touchdown passes. Brendan Armstrong has just two touchdown passes through three games this season. Armstrong in the 2021 season had 31 touchdown passes over 11 games. Uh, he did become UVA's all-time leader in passing yards, surpassing a mark that had been held by Matt Schaub, but things are not clicking for Brendan Armstrong and the UVA passing game so far this season. Uh, UVA, of course, has a new head coach in Tony Elliott. Uh, Elliott is an offensive guy. You know, he was an offensive assistant coach at Clemson for 11 seasons, 2011 to 2021. He's installing a new offense, and he did get asked during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening if Brendan Armstrong is better winging it as opposed to playing within the confines of this new offense. Yeah, well, that's that's the challenge. Uh, truth, truth be told, because you know what we're installing is a little bit more, you know, detailed progression reads and um, a little bit more structure where he's used to just kind of freelancing. And you know, part of it is too, we, we up front we're not where we need to be, and, and what he's had in years past, in particular last year, where he had veteran guys that could give him as much time as he need for guys to to pop open. Um, but hey. 
I feel good with him as a football player. And that's what I would tell him on the sideline. I was like, let's not make it too complicated, right? Just just play football. It's just football because at the end of the day, plays are plays, right? They're very similar. Uh, we just have a little bit different terminology. Uh, we are asking him to, to do a little bit more from a game management standpoint, uh, and that's areas where he has to grow. And what I would like to see him do uh, as, a, as instead of trying to buy a little bit extra time to force the play, throw it out of bounds. Like we're coming out when we, were, when we rolled out. Uh, back, it was going in that direction. It must have been in the first half. We had a sprint out. We had a busted assignment on the outside, right? Throw the ball away, right? Don't try and be a hero. Don't, don't, don't freelance. And that's, that's the time right there where I don't want him to, to wing it. But then there's other times that you want him to, to play. So what I have to do is, and, and Deshaun and Trevor, they had that in them too, to be able to kind of just make plays. So you, you, it's a slippery slope. Like I can't take that away from him, but at the same time too, I want to help him so that he doesn't put himself in, in a bad position as well. Yeah, got to get Brennan Armstrong going in the way that we know he can be going. Uh, receiver Keaton Thompson in the win over Old Dominion, nine receptions for 118 yards on 12 targets. 56 of his 118 receiving yards were yak. Uh, the Cavs' rushing offense was good. Running back Xavier Brown, nine carries, 88 yards. Running back Paris Jones, 11 carries, 56 yards. Running back Mike Hollins, eight carries, 29 yards, and a touchdown, although he also had a lost fumble, and the Hoos defense was good. The Hoos held ODU to just 14 points and just 4 of 15 on third downs. Next up for Virginia at Syracuse this Friday night at 7. Also with a weeknight game this week is Virginia Tech. Uh, the Hokies will host West Virginia this Thursday night at 7.30. Tech improved to 2-1 overall with a 27-7 win over Wofford at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday. Uh, the Hokies did not come close to covering a 38-point spread despite facing a team in Wofford that A, is an FCS team, B, came into the game with a record for the 2022 season of 0-2, and C, came into the game without having scored a single point in the 2022 season. Uh, Tech won the first half 20-0, but we then had a scoreless third quarter, and then each team scored seven points in the fourth quarter. So yes, Tech won the game by 20 points, but to me, a good Tech team would have destroyed this Walford team, and instead Tech didn't even win the second half. I don't want to crush Tech because I do think that some of what we saw on Saturday was Tech saving itself for this game against West Virginia this Thursday night, but it uh, would have been nice to see more of a dominant win over Wofford. Uh, the Hokies' new starting quarterback, Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, uh, did play well. He went 26-35 for 314 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He averaged 8.97 yards per pass attempt. He took one sack, and he quarterbacked a Hokies offense that went 7-13 on third downs. Here was Hokies head coach Brent Pry during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on Grant Wells. Yeah, I think that's a that's a closer example of who Grant is. You know, if he gets a, just a little bit of time, he can really read that thing and make good throws and be accurate. So, I think that's uh, that's a good building block for him. Yes, it is. Uh, I thought that Tech's running game was disappointing. Running backs Jalen Holston, Chance Black, and Bryce Duke combined for 37 carries for 136 yards and a touchdown. That works out to just 3.68 yards per carry. I mean, again, you're facing Wofford, okay? 
Uh, Tech, though, was missing some key backs. Running back Malachi Thomas remained out due to injury, and running back Keyshawn King did not play off having suffered an injury in Tech's previous game, the 27-10 home win over Boston College on September 10th. Uh, The Hokies' defense in the win over Wofford was really good. Uh, Wofford advanced into Tech territory a mere one time the entire game. Uh, The Hokies held Wofford to just 199 total net yards of offense, held Wofford to just 3 of 11 on third downs. And the Hokies did this despite being without some key players. Defensive lineman Taiwan Garbett did not dress for the game. He was on the sideline with his right foot in a walking boot. And defensive lineman Josh Fuga did not dress for the game due to injury. Uh, Also, good crowd at Lane Stadium. No surprise, but uh, Tech, for what was an 11 a.m. Eastern kickoff, had an official attendance of 62,043. Also, on Saturday, a heartbreaking loss for Liberty. Uh, the Flames, they fell to 2-1, and one, a 37-36 loss at number 19 Wake Forest on Saturday evening. Quarterback Caden Salter, a fourth and four, 18-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Demario Douglas with 1-11 left in the fourth quarter. Douglas made a tremendous Johnny-on-the-spot catch in the end zone. He wasn't even the target of the pass, but he came in off the ball being nearly intercepted and somehow made the catch. Liberty head coach Hugh Freeze opted to go for two, but the attempt failed. Uh, was a reverse play that did not work, and Liberty ended up losing by one. Uh, Liberty overcame a 25-second quarter deficit, outgained Wake Forest 437 to 346. Salter had a mixed game, two touchdown passes, but he completed just 19 of his 34 pass attempts, threw two interceptions, and took four sacks. He threw for 256 yards, also had 15 carries for 77 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Demario Douglas, seven receptions for 124 yards and two touchdowns on 14 targets. Running back Day-Day Hunter, 18 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. And Liberty did a pretty good job on Wake Stud quarterback Sam Hartman, uh, held him to just 26 of 44 passing. That works out to a completion percentage of just 59.09. Picked him off twice, sacked him three times, although he did have three touchdown passes. Next up for Liberty, home to Akron this Saturday evening at 6. And also this Saturday is the Sunbelt Conference opener for James Madison. The Mighty Dukes uh, at Appalachian State this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Now, JMU did not play in Week 3. The Mountaineers of App State did play And how about what they did on Saturday? A 32-28 win over Troy on a 53-yard Hail Mary as time expired. Quarterback Chase Bryce, a 4th and 10, 53-yard shotgun Hail Mary touchdown bomb to receiver Christian Horn. Here was the radio call of the play. Adam Witten and Brandon Turner on 97.3 FM in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. This is great. See how many Troy rushes here. They have everybody back to try to knock one down. Three-man rush. Chase going to step up in the pocket. Sets. Throws. High into the air. It's up for grabs. It is juggled. Yes, sir! Oh my gosh! Yes, sir! 
What a play! Deflected back into the arms of Christian Horde. And you they storm the field. App State wins on Miracle on the Mountain Part 2. Final score, App State 32, Troy 28. It is great to be out here. Woo! Well, how did you like that call? I mean, what exactly happened on the play was made totally clear, right? <laughs> uh, what an ending to that game. Well, two things about the Nationals 2022 season that have stuck out big time. Their terrible record against the Miami Marlins and that the Nats have yet to sweep a series. Uh, the Nats over the weekend actually took steps toward combating those two things. Uh, the Nats had a three-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. Won the first two games. Uh, Friday night, a 5-4 win. Saturday, a 5-3 win. So you had in this series, A, the Nats doing well against the Marlins, and B, the Nats putting themselves in position to finally author a series sweep. But then came Sunday afternoon, uh, and Sandy Alcantara. Sandy Alcantara is maybe the best starting pitcher on the planet right now. Uh, he has owned the Nats this season, and he owned them again on Sunday afternoon in what ended up being a 3-1 loss for the Nats to the Marlins. Uh, Alcantara tossed a complete game. He allowed one run on seven hits a walk and a hit by pitch. He had seven strikeouts. He threw 103 pitches, 77 strikes versus just 26 balls. Uh, Sandy Alcantara now in the 2022 regular season, 30 starts, ERA of 237. And he has that ERA over having thrown a major league leading 212 and two-thirds innings. You know, there are starting pitchers with better ERAs for the season than Alcantara's ERA for the season. But when you combine run prevention with volume of work, I don't know that any pitcher has been better than Alcantara has been this season. Uh, the Nats now are a major league worst 51 and 95, including just 3 and 13 against the Marlins. Uh, in terms of what truly mattered in this series from a Nats perspective, uh, well, more good stuff from C.J. Abrams. Uh, he was a Nats starting shortstop in all three games. He, on Friday night, as a Nats number nine batter, went one for three with a two-run triple. Uh, Abrams, in a Nats four-run seventh, a two-out, two-run triple to right field on a one-two pitch to tie the game at four. Uh, Abrams hit a liner toward the Marlins right fielder, Brian Anderson, and uh, Anderson failed in his attempt at a sliding forward catch. And then Abrams on Sunday afternoon had the Nats lone extra base hit off Sandy Alcantara. Abrams as the Nats number seven batter, one for three with a double. Uh, he did commit a fielding error. Abrams in the top of the fifth, a fielding error on a grounder off the bat of John Birdie. But Abrams in the bottom of the fifth, a two-out opposite field hustle double to left field, despite having been down at the count of one point. One, two. Uh, C.J. Abrams for the month of September is slugging 426. That's not like excellent, but that is a lot better than his uh, 180 slugging percentage for the month of August. Uh, good series for Luke Voigt. Uh, Nelson Cruz did not play at all in the series due to a left eye issue. And so for all three games in the series, Luke Voigt was an ad starting DH and Joey Manessis was an ad starting first baseman. Uh, that's good. That's what I want to see for most, if not all, of the rest of the Nats season. Avoid as the DH Manessis at first. Let's evaluate Joey Manessis defensively at first base. Avoid on Friday night as the Nats number four batter, two for three with two singles and a walk. Voigt on Saturday as the Nats number four batter, one for three with a solo homer and a walk. Voigt in an Nats one run third, a one out full count solo homer to left center field for a 3-1 Nats lead despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And Voigt on Sunday afternoon as the Nats number five batter against Sandy Alcantara, three for four 
with three singles. Uh, and then with Joey Manessis, so he was an ads number three batter in all three games in the series. And Manessis on Friday night, one for three with an inside the park solo home run. Uh, he also drew a walk in the game, but Manessis in the Nats, 4 one seventh on Friday night, a leadoff inside the park home run on a high fly ball off the center field wall to cut the Nats deficit to 4-1. This was some play. The ball hit the center field wall, then hit the Marlins center fielder, J.J. Blade, and then rolled along the warning track toward right field. And because Marlins right fielder Brian Anderson had come toward center field, Blade had to go chasing after the ball as it rolled along the warning track toward right field. And it felt like it took Blade an entire day uh, to get to the ball. And so Manessis ended up having an inside-the-park home run. Uh, this was the eighth inside-the-park home run by Nats player since the franchise came to Washington, D.C., beginning with the 2005 season and was the Nats' first regular season inside the park home run since an Andrew Stevenson inside the park home run on September 26th. 2020. Uh, also, more good stuff from Lane Thomas. Uh, now, manager Davey Martinez did not have the Lane train in the lineup for Sunday afternoon against Sandy Alcantara, basically out of fear. <laughs> uh, Lane in his career in the regular season against Alcantara, 0 for 11 with six strikeouts. Uh, I kind of thought that was a bit extreme. I mean, Lane Thomas is hitting well to not have him in the lineup against maybe the best pitcher in baseball. Yes, against whom Thomas has struggled, but also, yes, that's a small sample size, 0 for 11. Uh, but anyway, Lane Thomas did not play on Sunday afternoon, did though play over the first two games of the series and continued to do well. Uh, Thomas on Friday night as an at starting right fielder and number one batter, one for four with a single and two strikeouts. And he had an outfield assist. Uh, and this was a big defensive play. So first of all, the single Thomas in the bottom of the fourth, a leadoff full count opposite field single to right field, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And then Thomas in the top of the eighth had that outfield assist. He threw up Miguel Rojas in his attempt to go from first to third on a two-out single. And then Thomas on Saturday as an at starting right fielder and number one batter, one for three with a solo homer and a walk. Uh, Thomas in the Nats, one run first, smashed a leadoff full count homer to left center field for a one nothing. Nats lead. Uh, that was Thomas's 16th home run in the 2022 regular season. Yeah, it may not feel like it, but Lane Thomas has 16 homers this season. And then Thomas in the bottom of the second drew a two-out five-pitch walk. Uh, what was funny about this series from a Nats perspective was that the Nats, in terms of their starting pitching, won the two games in which the team starting pitching was bad, but lost the game in which the team starting pitching was good. Uh, Josiah Gray in game one of the series was not good for a third consecutive start, Gray in the Nats' 5-4 win over the Marlins at Nationals Park on Friday night started a game for the first time in eight days. He allowed four runs in five innings. Uh, he gave up five hits, a home run, a double, and three singles. He issued three walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw a lot of pitches, uh, did throw a lot of strikes, uh, but he over his five innings threw 90 pitches, 63 strikes, versus just 27 balls. And Gray did allow all four of the runs that he allowed in one inning, uh, the top of the second. So I do give Gray credit for having responded to that with three scoreless innings. But still, Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season, 26 starts, ERA of 514. I mean, his ERA is over five. Also, uh, his walks per nine innings is 415. And he has allowed a major league worst 37 home runs and has issued a National League worst 63 walks. That's a pretty bad combo. He's given up the most home runs in the majors and has issued the most walks in the National League. Uh, you really would like to see Josiah Gray be ending his 2022 season on a high note 
And that's not happening. He has been struggling. I mean, you look at his recent outings here. 7-3 loss at the National League East leading New York Mets on September 2nd. Josiah Gray in that game started a game for the first time in 13 days. Six runs in five innings. 11-6 win at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals on September 8th. Josiah Gray in that game, four runs in three into third innings. He gave up six hits, including two home runs. And the two homers that Gray gave up were to Yadier Molina, who was in his age 39 season and came into the game with an OPS plus for the 2022 regular season of just 51 and with just two home runs in the 2022 regular season. And then we got what we got from Gray on Friday night. Uh, Eric Fetty in game two uh, was not good for a third time in four starts. Fetty in the 5-3 win over the Marlins at Nationals Park on Saturday lasted for just four innings. He allowed three runs in the four innings, gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. Did have three strikeouts versus no walks, but he over his four innings threw 87 pitches, 56 strikes versus 31 balls. And you look at Eric Fetty's 2022 regular season, 24 major league starts, ERA of 529. His ERA is above five. And this is a guy who, over his first nine starts of the 2022 regular season, had an ERA of 355. Uh, neither Fetty nor Gray is ending his 2022 season in a good way. But Anibal Sanchez is ending his 2022 season in a good way. Uh, Anibal Sanchez, in game three of the series, pitched well for a fifth time in six starts. Uh, Sanchez, in the 3-1 loss to the Marlins at Nationals Park, On Sunday afternoon, two runs in six innings. (laughs) I can't get over how well Anibal Sanchez has been pitching. Uh, He gave up just four hits, a homer, a double, and two singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. He over six innings threw 94 pitches, 57 strikes versus 37 balls. So Anibal Sanchez now in the 2022 regular season, 12 major league starts, ERA of 440. Now that doesn't sound very good and an ERA of 440 really isn't that good, but you got to consider from where Anibal Sanchez came. Anibal Sanchez over his first six major league starts in the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 720. Since then, he has pitched quite well. 3-1 win at the San Diego Padres on August 18th, one run in five innings. 3-1 win at the Seattle Mariners on August 24th, four and a third scoreless innings. 5-1 win over the American League worst Oakland A's at Nationals Park on August 31st, one run in seven innings. 6-0 win at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals on September 5th, five scoreless innings. And then we had that 7-5 rain-delayed loss at the Philadelphia Phillies now two Sundays ago, September 11th. Uh, Sanchez in that game, one run in two innings and then did not return to the game after the rain delay of three hours, 36 minutes. So, okay, that's like his lone bad outing in recent weeks. But even that outing, you kind of have to put an asterisk next to, right? I mean, that was a bizarro outing in which he only lasted for two innings because of that three-hour 36-minute rain delay. Uh, Good stuff from Anibal Sanchez. I mean, I don't view him in any way as a building block. Okay, this is his age 38 season. Um, And you certainly would prefer for a Josiah Gray, say, to be ending his season the way that Anibal Sanchez is ending his season. But, you know, Josiah Gray is not the concern of Anibal Sanchez. Anibal Sanchez is the concern of Anibal Sanchez. And he's doing a good job here as the season progresses. Uh, The Nets' bullpen was good in this series against the Marlins. Uh, Friday night, four Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings with four strikeouts despite giving up six singles. Uh, Saturday, four Nats relievers combined for five scoreless innings with five strikeouts versus one hit and no walks. So really good stuff from Kyle Finnegan on Saturday. Perfect top of the ninth with three strikeouts. And then in the loss on Sunday afternoon, three Nats relievers combined to allow one run 
in three innings. The only reliever who gave up a run for the Nats in this series, Jordan Weems, allowing a run in the top of the ninth on Sunday afternoon. Two other things regarding Nats pitching that have emerged in recent days. Uh, We did get more bad news on Cade Cavalli. Uh, We on Friday afternoon learned that Cade Cavalli has been shut down again and has received a cortisone shot due to having experienced right shoulder discomfort during his first throwing session since being placed on the 15-day injured list. Uh, Cavalli had just completed a two-week shutdown and had just been cleared to begin throwing, but the throwing session had to be cut short. Just to refresh you here, so the Nats on August 31st placed Cade Cavalli on the 15-day injured list with right shoulder inflammation, backdated that placement to August 28th. Uh, The placing of Cavalli on the 15-day IL came just days after Cavalli's much-anticipated Major League regular season debut, but he, the day after that debut, played catch and felt shoulder tightness after around 10 throws. Uh, The debut, as you may recall, did not go well. Uh, The Nats on August 25th selected the contract of Cavalli from AAA Rochester. MLB Pipeline at the time had Cavalli ranked as the number 58 prospect in all of baseball, but Cavalli in a 7-3 loss to the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on August 26th, seven runs in four and a third inning. So, you know, we anticipated his major league regular season debut for so much of this season. He finally gets called up in late August, months, truthfully, after we thought that Cavalli would be called up. He struggles in the debut, and then he lands on the 15-day injured list, and now he has had to be shut down again because he has experienced right shoulder discomfort in his first throwing session since being placed on the 15-day IL. Uh, Not good, man. Not good. I mean, I don't want to be alarmist, and I don't know that this necessarily means anything for Cade Cavalli long-term. Like, pitchers do deal with shoulder inflammation, so it doesn't necessarily mean that there's, like, something structurally wrong and that Cade Cavalli is going to be someone who is prone to injury throughout his major league career. But when you look at what we thought could be with Cade Cavalli this season, you know, him being called up to the majors sooner rather than later, him being a bright spot for rebuilding that team instead— He doesn't get called up to the majors until late August. His major league regular season debut does not go well. Then he lands on the 15-day injured list soon after that debut. And now he has had to be shut down again because of right shoulder discomfort in his first throwing session since going on the 15-day IL. Uh, Also coming out on Friday was a piece by Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post on starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. And You know, this was the first substantial update on Strasburg in months, and the update only added to the uncertainty with Strasburg. Uh, Strasburg in the piece admitted that he is uncertain whether he'll ever pitch in a game again. Uh, He said, quote, I realize the clock is ticking. It's been almost three years since I've been able to pitch competitively, and it's not like I'm getting younger, end quote. Uh, He also discussed the passing of his father, earlier in the summer. This was a moving piece in a lot of ways. Uh, This was a sad piece in a lot of ways. And, you know, with Steven Strasburg, I really have come around to thinking this. It is over, and we're just kind of waiting for him and the Nats to concede that it is over. And by it, I mean his major league career. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop trying for him to continue to have a major league career, okay? But I don't know how, if you're following this, you can think anything other than this guy's done and it's just a matter of how exactly him being done is executed. Uh, I do think that this offseason, we could see some sort of a buyout 
between the Nats and Strasburg. You know, Strasburg still has four years remaining on that seven-year, $245 million contract to which he was re-signed in December 2019. This season is the third season of that contract. And, you know, you might say, well, why should Strasburg negotiate anything here? He's guaranteed that money, and he is. But does he really want to keep going through this? Steven Strasburg, since signing that contract, has made a grand total of eight major league regular season starts. He underwent surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome on July 28, 2021. He, this season, has made just one major league regular season start for the Nats. The start, by the way, did not go well. 7-4 loss at the Miami Marlins on June 9th. Seven runs in four and two-thirds innings. And then just days after that, uh, the Nats placed Strasburg on the 15-day injured list with a stress reaction of the ribs. And the Nats, on July 14th, transferred Strasburg to the 60-day injured list. There has been a glaring lack of information and conversation about Steven Strasburg and how he's doing. It, to me, has been almost ominous, the lack of information and conversation about Strasburg, you know, as if everyone kind of knows what the deal is and just doesn't want to say it. So uh, I, on this podcast, will say it. I mean, it really does feel like Steven Strasburg is done, and it's sad, and it's unfortunate You know, the good news is that he will always have that World Series MVP for 2019. Uh, He, even if he's done, goes down as one of the great pitchers in the history of the Nats franchise. He will forever be a Washington, D.C. sports hero for what he did in that 2019 postseason, especially in that 2019 World Series. But there's no doubt. I mean, the contract has been a complete disaster. Again, seven years, $245 million dollars. He has made a total of eight major league regular season starts since signing that contract. It is not his fault that he can't stay healthy. It is not his fault that his body is failing him. But make no mistake, his body is failing him. And for him to admit to the post, quote, I realize the clock is ticking. It's been almost three years since I've been able to pitch competitively. And it's not like I'm getting younger, end quote. You know, it kind of feels like maybe he is coming around to this idea that, yeah, you know, my body just will not cooperate anymore. Uh, Next season would be Steven Strasburg's age 34 season. Uh, There have been a lot of negative developments for the Nats this season, clearly. I don't know that any negative development has been as much of a downer as what has happened with Steven Strasburg. And I just can't imagine that we're going to dance this dance next season. And he's going to try to get on the horse one more time and go through, you know, all this rehab work and make these minor league rehab starts and then come up to the majors potentially and make a start only to be injured again. You know, I think if he is going to try to pitch again, the way to do this is for him to try to pitch as a reliever and see if his body can handle pitching an inning at a time. And then if things are going well, then maybe possibly you try to stretch him out. But otherwise, to continue along the path that he and the Nats have been going down for three years now just does not make much sense. It's not working. You know, if you're going to continue to try, at least try something different. Next up for the Nats, a six-game road trip, a three-game series at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves, followed by a three-game series at the Marlins. Game one at the Braves, Monday night at 7.20, Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two at the Braves, Tuesday night at 7.20, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three at the Braves, Wednesday afternoon at 12.20. The Nats have not yet named a starting pitcher for that game. Well, things are tight and tough uh, for the Orioles right now. They are in quite 
the American League wildcard race, and they have not exactly been playing their best baseball, but here we are now. Uh, the O's in their 2022 regular season, 17 games left, zero scheduled off days left, and the O's are four games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wildcard spot. The O's do remain in postseason contention. Uh, they, over the weekend, did lose two or three games at the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays. Friday night, a 6-3 loss. Saturday, a 6-3 loss. But Sunday afternoon, a 5-4 come-from-behind win as the O's overcame a 3-1 eighth-inning deficit. And we're back, Joe Angel, in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, thank you. The win column. Uh, the O's now 76 and 69. How about our guy, Adley Rutschman? Uh, what a series he had at the Blue Jays. Rutschman on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, two for three with a double, a two run single, and two walks. A Rutschman in an Orioles three run ninth inning, a go ahead, bases loaded, two run opposite field single through the left side of the infield for a 4-3 Orioles lead. This was off what he did in the first two games of the series. Uh, Rutschman on Friday night as the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, one for four with a two-run homer. Uh, Rutschman in an Orioles two-run fourth, a full count two-run homer to left field for a 2-1 Orioles lead. And the homer came off Blue Jays lefty Yusei Kikuchi, uh, marking the first career Major League regular season home run for Rutschman off a lefty. Uh, and Rutschman on Saturday as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, two for four, with two singles and a walk. He was so good in this series. The O's on May 21st selected the contract of Adley Rutschman from AAA Norfolk. He since then has an OPS of 820. You know, he is living up to the O's having taken him with the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of Oregon State. Rutschman, at the time of being called up to the majors, was the number one prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, and it really has been a pleasure to watch him play. Remember, he got off to a bad start offensively in terms of his major league career, but since then, Adley Rutschman has been rolling. Uh, speaking of rolling, another good series for Gunnar Henderson. Uh, now, he on Sunday afternoon, as the Orioles starting third baseman and number four batter, uh, went 0 for 3, although he drew two walks, but he struck out three times. But Henderson on Friday night as the Orioles starting DH and number five batter, two for four with a solo homer and a single. Uh, Henderson in the top of the seventh, a two out full count opposite field single to left field. And Henderson in the Orioles one run ninth, a two out opposite field solo homer to left field on an 0-2 pitch. And Henderson on Saturday as the Orioles starting shortstop at number five batter, two for four with a double and a two-run single. Uh, Henderson in an Orioles two-run third, a one-out bases loaded first pitch, two-run single through the right side of the infield to cut the Orioles deficit to 3-2. The ball had an exit velocity of 102.5 miles per hour per stat cast. And Henderson in the Orioles one-run eighth, a one-out opposite field double to left field. Uh, the O's on August 31st selected the contract of Gunnar Henderson from AAA Norfolk. He since then has an OPS of 945. The guy has been outstanding. Uh, Henderson, at the time of being called up to the majors, was the number two prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. You cannot say enough about what Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson are doing for the O's. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle 
did get hurt over the weekend. Mount Castle on Saturday as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter left the game due to a left elbow contusion. Uh, he suffered that on a leadoff hit by pitch in the top of the second. He took a 93.7 mile per hour four seam fastball from Blue Jay starter Jose Barrios. And so the Orioles starting first baseman and number five batter on Sunday afternoon was Jesus Aguilar. Uh, the O's on August 31st signed Aguilar as a free agent to a minor league contract off him having been released by the Miami Marlins on August 27th. And then the O's on September 1st selected the contract of Aguilar from Triple A Norfolk. Uh, and how about what Jesus Aguilar did on Sunday afternoon? Two for five with a solo homer and an RBI single. Uh, Aguilar in the Orioles one-run eighth, a one-out solo homer on a line drive to left field to cut the Orioles' deficit to 3-2. And then Aguilar in that Orioles three-run ninth, a two-out opposite field RBI single to right field for a 5-3 Orioles lead. Uh, Jesus Aguilar is in his age 32 season. He is a guy who has shown an ability to hit. Uh, he was a key offensive contributor for the Milwaukee Brewers in 2018, and he hit in a key way for the O's on Sunday afternoon. Uh, O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Jesus Aguilar. So that's what I saw him do in Milwaukee all the time against us was pop a homer, runner in scoring position, line drive single the other way. Um, and, you know, hopefully that gets him going a little bit too. But you got, you got two enormous hits for us. Yeah, Brandon Hyde, remember, was a coach for the Chicago Cubs from 2014 through 2018. So we got to see Jesus Aguilar during his time with the Brewers. Uh, also for the O's in their 5-4 win at the Blue Jays on Sunday afternoon, a triple play. Uh, so Dean Kramer was the Orioles starting pitcher. He allowed two runs in five and two-thirds innings. He put a lot of guys on base, though. Uh, he gave up four hits, a homer, a double, and two singles. He issued a jaw-dropping five walks, and he issued a hit by pitch, recorded three strikeouts, threw 96 pitches, 58 strikes, versus 38 balls. But Kramer did a good job of navigating his way out of trouble, and he and the Blue Jays' one-run third got out of a jam by inducing a first-pitch triple play off the bat of Matt Chapman, uh, who with runners on first and second lined into a 6-4-3 triple play. Uh, this was the Orioles' first regular season triple play since August 2017. So Dean Kramer wasn't great, but he ended up being good enough. Uh, Dean Kramer now in the 2022 regular season at the major league level, 19 games, including 18 starts in ERA of 333. The Orioles' two other starting pitchers in the series did not do so well. Uh, Jordan Lyles in game one was not good for a second consecutive start. Lyles in the 6-3 loss at the Blue Jays on Friday night. Four runs in five innings. He gave up two hits, two homers, a double, and two singles. The big blow was Lyles giving up a two-out full count, three-run homer to George Springer to left field in the bottom of the fifth. The homer went a projected 422 feet per stat cast. Uh, the Blue Jays are a very good hitting team. That is a difficult lineup to go through. Uh, Lyles did have five strikeouts versus one walk. He over his five innings threw 82 pitches, 52 strikes versus 30 balls. Uh, Jordan Lyles now in the 2022 regular season, 29 starts, ERA of 470. And then Kyle Bradish in game two uh, was not good for a second time in three starts. Bradish in the 6-3 loss at the Blue Jays on Saturday, five runs, three earned in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, a double, and five singles. Issued a walk, recorded three strikeouts. He over his four and two-thirds innings threw 80 pitches, 49 strikes 
versus 31 balls. Two of the runs charged to Bradish. Uh, the two unrun runs uh, came on a two-out bases loaded three-run double by Rymel Tapia on a 1-2 pitch from reliever Jake Reed in the Blue Jays' three-run fifth inning. But Kyle Bradish remains up and down. When he's good, he can be great, but he's just not good start in, start out. Uh, and I guess you see that with a lot of young pitchers. But Kyle Bradish now in the 2022 regular season, 20 major league starts, ERA of 505. Like, as many good starts as he has had, his ERA still is over five. Uh, but the O's avoided a three-game sweep at the Blue Jays with that 5-4 comeback win on Sunday afternoon. Here was some more from Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday. We just got to keep, we got to keep grinding. I mean, this is, uh, today was a grind. Tomorrow's, I mean, we're, we, you know, we have a tough time uh, having easy wins. It makes it, makes us exciting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, I, there's a lot of fight in our club and I, and I don't see it st- uh, stopping. And next up for the O's is a seven-game homestand, a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers, followed by a four-game series against the American League-leading Houston Astros. Uh, Game one against the Tigers, Monday night at 7.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two against the Tigers, Tuesday night at 7.05. Austin Voth will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game three against the Tigers, Wednesday night at 7.05. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 403. We'll have a lot more on the commanders of them falling to one and one with this 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions. Uh, we on Monday will have the day after the game press conference of Commanders head coach Rod Rivera. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Monday night at 7.20. We'll begin game one of a three-game series at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves. The O's on Monday night at 7.05 will begin game one of a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Send the math. Send the math. You guys should appreciate the analytics of it. Okay.